to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. Imagine when you're starting your business, if you started with culture, if you started with the idea of what's the culture that I want to create, what's the culture that I want to be in, what's the culture that I want my employees to be in, and start there before you ever start with a business plan or a business strategy. But instead, think about what's the, what is the intentional effort that we're going to put in to the culture that we want to create. On today's episode, our guest, Christian Moore, talks about this. This is exactly what he did in building his business. He spent months developing a culture strategy before he dove in and built a business strategy. And in doing this, he has become well-recognized in his industry nationwide for the type of business that he's creating, the type of culture that he's created. And so, You can really take a lot of his advice, no matter what your industry is, you can take this advice and understanding how you can do this in your business. And and don't fret. If you feel like our business has already been around 30 years and, uh, you know, this is going to be a big ship to turn around, it's okay. The ship can be turned around, but you have to be intentional with the culture that you're trying to creating. Take time to really research what that culture is. Take time to understand what the culture is that you want to create over time and put goals in place to get you there so that you you can begin creating the culture long-term that you want in your company. You have control over this and hard decisions sometimes have to be made to create that type of culture, but it can be done. If you've not started your business yet, now's the time to be thinking about the culture. What's the culture that you want in your organization? So pay attention to this week as, as uh, Christian talks about the culture that he's created and the effort that went into that and the impact that that's had on his business. As always, I want you to subscribe to the show. Be sure you click that button to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes. If you have any questions or if there's a, an episode or a topic that you'd love to hear about, please reach out to us at podcast at employerblueprint.com. Thanks so much and have an amazing day. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Employer Blueprint podcast. Uh, This week, we have a very unique story uh, from Christian where he's been able to start uh, an independent insurance agency, but do it in a way that's a little bit different than the norm and kind of break that blueprint a bit. So really interested to hear uh, how he's done that and the way that that whole process has worked, especially for those of you out there in the insurance space. I think you're going to find this really interesting. Uh, Christian, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, as we get started here, why don't you kind of kick us off just by telling us more about your story, your history, and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah. So uh, (laughs) the story, I was born a poor black child in Southern Mississippi. (laughs) I always feel like when you go back, how far back do you go? I don't know. I feel like you you can't go wrong with quoting Steve Martin, right? That's right. Um, So, (laughs) and that's the jerk. It's a movie. I wasn't being racist. Yeah. yeah, That's a Um, legitimate quote. (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, so my, my journey, um, in insurance started about 10 years ago. Um, I was actually working for Sprint cell phone communications. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, uh, one of the top salespeople in the Eastern portion of the country and realized very quickly I had a, uh, a, a ceiling, a very low ceiling there in order to, in order to break it, I would have had to take three steps back and pay and end up, you know, taking on way more responsibility. And anyway, I, I ended up getting recruited by a state farm agent at the time. Um, and he, um, 
but he didn't recruit me to himself. He actually just took me out to lunch and uh, told me about uh, what insurance could mean for me, my family, the community, how we could give. Um, his father was an insurance agent. And, um, and so he just kind of basically kind of gave me his insurance testimony, if you will, mm -hmm. about, um, about how it could change someone's life. He basically told me you can make as much money as you're willing to work for. Mm. And, um, and I was always willing to, to work harder than the person beside me. Mm -hmm. So that appealed. I took a huge pay cut and went and worked at a different state farm agent's uh, office um, and very quickly realized that the captive world also had a, a ceiling on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's become more and more the case uh, with newer contracts. I don't know what's going on in the captive world specifically, but I do know that uh, gone are the days of captive agents being able to make, you know, four or $500,000 a year. They really right. don't want those agents to have that much authority or power anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so in seeing that, I, um, I decided to branch out and, um, and really what, what kind of started that was that we had our, our first child. My wife wanted to stay home and mm -hmm. I could either work three jobs uh, and stay at State Farm or, uh, or I could branch out. And so I, um, I branched out and opened an agency with a company that no one has ever heard of called American National Insurance mm -hmm. um, and did really well with them. In fact, so well that I was actually recruited back to State Farm to be an agent in waiting. I spent those, uh, I spent my time at State Farm at that point. You actually, I became certified to be an agent, uh, an agency owner there. And during my time while I was waiting, I was operating as a, what's called an AI, an additional intern. And I would go into agents' offices and for uh, three to four months at a time, mm -hmm. I would help them with their efficiencies, trainings, uh, processes, uh, selling, and basically act in the capacity of an agent in that office. Yeah. And it really gave me a unique perspective on how to take an agency from one place to another place in order how to, um, and really how to kind of see issues, diagnose them and implement changes that would help resolve them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, I figured out I was not a, a corporate guy <laughs> and, um, I was recruited to an independent agency here in, uh, in Lexington. Uh, and it was a really large agency, about $200 million agency. And we took their small, we took their personal lines and small business and took them from like $200,000 in production the year before I got there to 4 million in new production the year that I left. Wow. Um, and, and really, so basically in taking the captive experience, the state farm experience, uh, learning how to to diagnose, coach, and and implement the best processes. And really, there's no better training to be completely transparent than State yeah. Farm. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just better utilized not there. <laughs> um, and then and then went into the independent world and was given all of this access and resource and realized that man, if I could take what I learned, the best of what I learned in the captive world, apply it to the independent world, then we could do something relatively special. And so uh, I was in a, um, actually in a Bible study with a couple of uh, Christian entrepreneurs and uh, they kind of looked at me one day and they said, Christian, you, you need to be doing this on your own. And in fact, if you want to, we'll fund it. Hmm. Um, wow. And so I took on two business partners uh, from outside the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, they were actually in the commercial real estate industry. Mm -hmm. And it's really unique how many overlaps there are uh, in both of our fields. Yeah. Uh, they have a really good concept of renewal, uh, of, of building a, um, building up your net worth. Right. Uh, they have a good concept of renewal income, um, <laughs> building up residual income. But when they looked at how fast you could do it on the insurance side versus how long it takes on a 30-year right. purchase of a you know, big you know, multi-million dollar facility, they said, wow. Uh, insurance seems like a good investment. Yeah. So I, I like to talk to people about the difference because there are scratch agencies 
and there are startup agencies or there, there are startup companies. Yeah. Um, when you think scratch, you think nothing, right? right, right. Um, and, and it's not fair for the agents who hear me or who have heard me speak on other podcasts or who will hear me speak at conferences uh, to compare themselves to me if they're a true scratch. In fact, they are much braver and uh, and they have my admiration in such, a, in such a special way because they really put their families, their livelihood, everything on the line. Right. And they go out and they say, I have nothing. I'm going to go cut down the tree to build my, to build my house. You know, um, I went and because of the place that I was in just, just personally and financially, um, I had to, um, I had to, I had to guarantee my income. Right. Uh, my, my wife didn't work at the time. We have three kids. We homeschool. Yeah. Uh, those were all decisions that we made, but basically because of that financial place that I was in, in, in order to, in order to need to guarantee my income, I kind of stumbled upon this, this idea of actually starting this agency with investors. Right. Um, and, and it was when I, it was at that time that I met my, my current partners. Um, and as a result, I was able to start with capital. Uh, we took, I took about nine or 10 months to develop a business plan. And as we'll talk about, I'm sure I took about nine months to develop a cultural strategy and I took about two hours to write a business plan. And, <laughs> and then I just hire to my cultural strategy. Right. And at the end of the day, um, my team makes my business plan look really good. So our agency is getting all this national attention because of, of how much business we're doing. Right. Uh, but the reality is, is that we we're just executing a, a plan, right. uh, but the plan required capital. And so yeah. thinking of us as a scratch agency is probably not as accurate as thinking of us, thinking of us as a startup company. Yeah. And I always tell my team uh, to have that mindset. I tell them, um, I say, we are a technology company that happens to sell insurance. We are not an insurance company that happens to sell technology. Right. Um, now, whether or not they believe me or actually act along those lines <laughs> story, but that's what I tell them anyway. Right, right. So that's a... Uh, that's, uh, Probably you said be succinct, but I'm never good at that. So no, that's, that's, that's good. Good as I can do with the history there. So, and I do want to jump into that because, um, you know, so I work with a lot of independent insurance agencies and there is kind of a, um, you know, a blueprint that's out there. Um, no pun intended with, with, you know, the, the name of our company, but there is kind of a blueprint that's out there of um, starting an insurance agency and what an insurance agency looks like. You know, it's a very traditional industry. Um, people know this is what it looks like. This is what well, my, my dad did it. My grandfather did it. And, and um, this is how you start uh, an agency. This is what you look like. This is sort of the feel. And, and many agencies have kind of the same um, cultural feel whenever you, you work with them. And so I guess my first question to that would be, why did you feel there was a need to be different as opposed to um, sticking with the, the mold that was already created for the industry? Yeah, part of that's just, just personal. One is I'm just not really good at doing what other people are doing. And I'm, I really, I think I've just built, I'm, I'm just built in the way that if someone says, this is the way we do it, my first question is why? Yeah. It's probably my mom's fault um, <laughs> <laughs> for raising me this way. That's right. Um, but, but in all seriousness, um, you know, when I was, when I was looking at leaving, uh, the agency that I was at before, I, um, I noticed something and it was, and it was very, it was very apparent, uh, in, in the way the decisions were being made. And it was that they don't have a culture. In fact, I would say that most agencies don't have a culture. Most agencies think they do. Mm -hmm. And what they would call their culture is just being good people. Right. Uh, but that's not a culture. There's no strategy along that. And the reality is, is that there's no baseline by which to judge anything. Right. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, we're made up of good people. We always do the right thing. God, family, business, you know, they'll say those things. Um, but what it, it doesn't mean anything. Um, right. And when you, when you really break down the way they make decisions, the, the, the real cultural axiom or the thing at the center of the way to make decisions is mm-hmm. basically it's just they, they exist to make money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a fact. Right. Um, and, and what we find when you talk to agencies across the country, agency owners or insurance agents across the country, you ask them, how do you get into the industry? Mm-hmm. No one, no one like was in high school saying, dude, I cannot wait to be an insurance agent when I grow up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kobe, LeBron, Federer, Cristiano Ronaldo, Christian Moore insurance agent. Yeah. You know, like no one does that. Right. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> we're in this, um, and, and so, and I think because of that, people kind of wake up and they, they find themselves in an agency that's yeah. kind of already going. Right. Um, and, and I had the luxury of starting with, with all of this knowledge on the front end. So mm-hmm. I think one is just, I'm lucky in that I got to start the way that I did. I didn't have to, I didn't go buy someone else's agency and inherit all of right. their cultural problems. Right. And I did get 20 years down the road and realize that I'm at the top of this behemoth and, oh no, we don't have a cultural inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where I was before, they, that's where they were. Um, they were really good at making money. And this is a perfect analogy. I'll tell you a conversation that happened real fast. And this will tell you exactly what the light bulb moment for me was. And mm-hmm. I was called into the office of the guy who was my manager at that place. And and he basically just wanted to, uh, he was just complaining. You know, he's just having a rough time with one of our, our employees there, one of the CSRs. And, yeah. and, and one of the CSRs came to him and said, um, or sorry, he, he came to me and said, man, you know, the CSR, she just comes to her desk and she just sits down and, um, and she doesn't make, she doesn't do anything. She just expects to pull a paycheck. You know, mm-hmm. she's happy just to pull a paycheck. Yeah. And what he didn't know is I'd spent the last seven months, like doing a deep dive into like what it means to like build a, a company for the cultural right. foundation. So this is all in my mind, right? Yeah. yeah. Reading like Simon Sinek and all this kind of stuff. And like my yeah. mind's exploding with all this. So my response to him was, was real natural in the, in the moment. And I said, I said, man, I said, you have to ask yourself this question. You have to ask yourself why we exist as a company. And the answer is, if you really think about it, we exist to make money. We're really good at it. I'm thankful for that. I'm able to make a six figure income and take care of my wife and kids and take care of the church and community. And man, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, you're mad at a woman who perfectly exemplifies who we are as a company at the lowest rung of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. It's not her fault. In right. fact, what I told him was, I said, what you need to do is you need to change your company culture, call her to something greater and see how she responds. If she doesn't respond to something greater, mm-hmm. then it's her fault. But right now it's yours. Right. Uh, he's like, get the F out of my office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're on cloud nine that you just created this profound statement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He was like, shut up, Christian, get out of here. I don't care. About yeah. that. Um, and, and that's not the kind of guy he was, but you know, that was certainly, he wasn't calling me in for my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but if you yeah. become my friend long enough, you'll, you'll know that you get my unsolicited advice. You're going to get it either way. Um, yeah. So, so basically to answer your question the, in the, to, to make it a shorter answer, is we were in the place of developing this business. And I realized that the places that, that I had come from had no culture. It wasn't that they, and and they were just a product of of who they were. So to to take it further is in our producer handbook, it literally says, if you say the words, that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's immediately a fireable offense and you're gone. 
You can't, yeah. you're not allowed to think that way. Right. And so we start with, we start with that not being an option. Right. Um, and, and then we, and we build from there. So the traditional sense, I mean, you know, there's, there's so much wisdom in, in the past and to disregard it would be, would be unwise. Yeah. Uh, but on, but on the flip side of it, we have to, we have to continue to ask the question, why have we done it this way? Mm-hmm. And, and gleam as much wisdom as we possibly can, but then also realize that, that the cultural strategy, especially, and it really is the movement of the millennials and Generation Z who are pushing this, mm-hmm. but, but life and the experience of life, we are realizing is much more important than loyalty to a job that really doesn't care much about us. Right, right. And it, well, and I, and I agree completely with that. I think that's, um, that's so important. That's something that I, I kind of preach on whenever the opportunity comes up is that we, uh, we as a business environment want to complain about <clears throat> people that don't have, you know, aren't loyal to a company and don't care about the company. Um, and that's always kind of my statement too, is how much have we proven that we care about them? And, right. um, uh, you know, to your point, you know, and the story you're talking about, you know, did we, did we really define for them why we're here? Did we define what the expectations were of the job? Did we um, make sure that they know what success really looks like and, and, you know, how they fit into the whole um, uh, kind of machine that this company is. And if we didn't do those things, then yeah, it's absolutely our fault that someone isn't performing as well as we expect them to, because we never told them what the, you know, what's the goal? What's the target? What are you actually, are actually trying to achieve? And without that definition piece, um, it's easy for us to get frustrated. And frankly, the employee is probably getting frustrated as well because they think they're doing a good job. And then come review time, you're saying, well, you're okay. You're not great. Oh gosh, I'm doing everything I thought I was supposed to do. And, um, and you as the, as the leader in the organization aren't really giving them clear definition and clear guidance. So, hundred um, well, percent, you know, and, and to push onto that, just to interject a little bit is that, you know, we talk about hiring and you know, it, that's probably what I'm sure we're getting ready to talk about more, but when you're, when you're recruiting and when you're, when you're bringing these people in, every single one of my team members is a rock star. And I'm not saying that because I like blindly believe in them. I went and found the best. Right. That's how we're producing, like we're producing. But then I talk to these agency owners and they want, they, they call me from all over the country and say, how can I find a team member who's willing to do what, what you do? I, I tell them how we pay them. I tell them how I recruit. And they say, well, that's great. And I say, but then I take it as my personal responsibility to insert 30% of their revenue into their, into their sales process. What could be more stupid mm-hmm. than saying, I'm going to pay somebody $50,000 base plus 50% new commission Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm going to decrease that base over three years so that I have $105,000 sunk cost before tax, before paying pay, payroll tax. So it's called $120,000 right. sunk cost investment. And I'm going to let them sink or swim. Right. Yeah. Are you kidding me? There is nothing more stupid and antiquated in the way that we think in our industry than that philosophy. And that's yeah. 90% of all agency owners in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't have that statistic. That's I made that statistic up, but I think it's 90%. Well, no, you know, and it's interesting because I've actually even seen, um, uh, I've, I've had some clients that will come to us after they've done their own research. And, and our big thing, you know, that we really focus on is first hire, right hire. You know, we don't, because of what you're saying, you know, it costs us as a recruiting company, a ton of money. It costs you as a business, a ton of money. If you have to go through two people even, uh, let alone when you go through three or four. And it's amazing when people...
looked at the statistics and we've we've gone out and we've talked to some consultants and uh, looked in the industry. And we know generally we've got to go through about three producers before we find one that works. And so we've actually put that into our cost over the next five years of what it's going to take, you know, what the actual cost is because of how much we're going to lose on the first two that don't work out. And that's baffling to me. Right. Why would you go into a process knowing that it is going to fail as opposed to saying, we need to reevaluate the process. I mean, I can't imagine we would do that with anything else. Can you imagine building a new building and saying, well, the first two are going to fall down, but the third one we think is going to work. So we've got to understand the first half a million is just what's going to fail. And then after that, we're going to have a really nice new building. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But yeah, this car. I'm going to buy this car to make it to Florida, but I know it's only going to take me to Tennessee. Exactly. But uh, I'll just buy that car anyway and, you know, see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Let's give it a go. We'll see how it happens because it might. I've heard stories of when a car did make it all the way to Florida. And so <laughs> it's amazing to me that that people actually kind of put that into their financial model to say, well, we expect the first couple of people aren't going to work. And that's what we always try to explain. Maybe then, but that's not the way that we're going to do it. But well, and that, and that shows that they're not making decisions based off of a cultural value. Right, right. And that's and so that's one thing that I, I want to dive into a little deeper here real quick before we move on to kind of that talent acquisition piece that you have. Yes. You know, you mentioned it took you months, eight, nine months. So you did research and really trying to figure out how you build a cultural strategy. Now, whenever we're talking to uh, to clients, we that's one of our questions is tell us about your your organization culture. And it's amazing, one, how many people have never really thought about it, or that's the moment that they think about it. And they can give us a synopsis of their culture in about two minutes. And, and to your point, it's, it's a lot of those kind of buzzwords that they know they have to throw out. Um, but a lot of people believe that they can define a culture in five minutes, 10 minutes, or maybe go to a little workshop. I mean, those that really want to invest in it, I can go to a workshop for an hour or two and I can define my company culture. You spent months researching this, thinking about it, just, just really rolling through your head on exactly what does a company culture look like for us? Um, why does it take so long? Why did it take you so long whenever so many people out there think, I can, fig- I can define my company culture um, and tell you what I want it to be in just a couple of minutes? You know, there was a guy, there was a guy I go to church with and he said, I knew, every- there, I knew everything there was to know about child training before I had children. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, I had one, it was, it was just the reason it took so long was one, it, you know, just strategically when we were planning on doing all of this, it was almost more of a necessity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost, it's almost that I probably would have made the same mistake of everyone else if I didn't have to take the time. Right. Uh, but because I did have to take the time, it gave me, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, it gave me the opportunity to, um, it gave me the opportunity to really, dive in, yeah. think on things, let it sit, see how it feels. And, and what I've learned uh, after a year and a half of running this and after nine months of developing a cultural strategy is that uh, your culture is an organism. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not something that you can write down. It's not a structure. Uh, it's not walls and foundation. It is, uh, it's a living, breathing thing. It's, it's more, it may be, maybe, maybe you could say it's like a recipe also. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you're going to do whatever you possibly can to develop as much of a strong taste as possible. But every single employee that you put in, as much as they're a cultural fit, they should be, but they're also going to bring something unique to it. 
And you have to realize that your culture is going to shift and evolve as you add people into it. But if you don't know who you are, then it's just going to be chaos. And if, if anyone is a anyone is a chef or understands cooking, you know, you can't just haphazardly throw everything into a mix and have something delicious, right? Right. Like there has to be an understanding of what you need, when you need it, and how that's going to accomplish the vision of the agency. Yeah. So what it really was for me was trying to figure out how do I make decisions? um, How do I make decisions that accomplish our vision? Yeah. Um, And then, and then apply everything that we do through that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of it just came from the fact of, you know, being in, being in large corporate environments and seeing what was done wrong. So for example, yeah. uh, in our, in our operating agreement between me and my partners, I, I specifically put a couple of things in there. One is our mission, for example, is to make a generational impact in our community. Mm-hmm. We cannot make a generational impact if we do not exist for generations. So built into our operating agreement is we do not sell. Mm. There's no amount of money that can buy real insurance Mm-hmm. Because that would not allow us to accomplish our mission. Right. Um, the other side of that is that as we as we make decisions, we will always put our company in a more vulnerable position than our employees. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if someone's going to take it on the chin, it's going to be me. It's not going right. to be my team. Right. I've I I had the vision. I set the vision. I called them to it, and if then I'm going to put them on the front lines and allow them to take the brunt of the, of the pain. But yeah. again, you know, for military, that makes sense for a business that is investing in the lives of the people in a community. It doesn't. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> so one of the things that you have done very uniquely, um, and again, uh, not even just in your industry, but, but, you know, within business in general, but especially in your industry, understanding how it traditionally works is your hiring process. Um, is very unique. Um, you truly, you know, we tell people a lot like hire for culture, hire for personality, hire for fit. Um, but you've really figured out a way to do that, um, effectively. And one of the things that you do, um, that's very unique is a a lot of people try to do one or the other is the way that I oftentimes try try to describe it. Like we're going to try to sell you on how great of an organization we are, but because we're such a great organization, our pay sucks. But this is the benefits of being here. Or we're going to pay you really well in comparison to others in the industry, but we're not that great of a place to work for. And so you kind of have to balance that out. I and mean, when we see that a lot, and it's one or the other, like, well, we know we aren't, the, they won't admit that they know they're not that great of a, an organization to work for. But in reality, it's like, look, we know we can't compete with the, the culture of this organization, but we're going to pay you so much better that you can't go anywhere else. Or we've got an amazing culture. We're not going to pay well. You've, you kind of, you balance those things out and say, I'm going to pay you better than the others in the market are going to be able to do, but we still are focused on this organizational culture. So what led to that decision and how has that played out over time as you've grown the agency? This was one of the big revelations that I had as I was as I was developing the strategy for for building this thing. Um, if I write a book, this this analogy will be in this book, and it will probably be the crux of it. Um, but it's the two men on the side of the road, and I don't know if you've seen my LinkedIn profile, but I've I've, I've shared this story before. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you have you have two men. Uh, on either side of a road, and you have a you have a steak dinner on the in, on the middle of the road. I don't know why it's in the middle of the road, but that's where it is for the sake of the analogy. <laughs> uh, 
maybe the setting needs to be changed. Uh, but anyway, one guy's walking down the road and he hasn't eaten for weeks and he's literally going to starve to death. And, it, and everything about his life, everything, uh, his entire future is encapsulated around, he sees that steak and he needs to eat that steak. And if he doesn't eat that steak, he will die. Not only would he die, he would be willing to kill anyone who is in his way in order to eat that steak. That's man number one. Man number two is on the other side. He just walks out of the gym. He's a professional boxer. All he does his entire life is train to be a boxer. His entire being is around training to be a boxer. He is well-fed. He eats steak every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, he is well-trained, uh, and he is he's well-fed, he's well-trained. Uh, and he's walking down the street, and he loves steak, and he sees the steak, and he decides he wants the steak too. The two men decide to fight over it. Who do you think is going to win? The boxer. The boxer, the well-paid well-trained professional will beat the starving man 100% of the time. Yeah. And what's more important is that the man who loves steak, the boxer who eats steak every day, he's a, he's a connoisseur of steak. Mm -hmm. And so he's not just going to go fight over a steak that's worthless. He's going to inspect it. Is it marbled? Is it ribeye? He doesn't want a filet that you can get anywhere. He wants a ribeye. He wants a sirloin, right? And so, and so then... Before he decides to fight over it, he knows that what he's fighting over is best. Well, the other person, the, the starving man, he'll be five bites in before he realizes his mouth is full of maggots. And guess what? He's starving. He's got to eat anyway. Right. So when, it talks, when we're talking about business acquisition and type of business that my team is getting to, going to write, they're actually paid to walk away from bad business. Part mm -hmm. of their salary isn't just answering phones and doing stuff that they hate. It's actually... Their salary should enc should encourage them to only make good decisions because they're well-fed, well-paid professionals. Yeah. They're not starving people. So my team will beat the other person's team 100% of the time. I don't care where they're coming from because winning doesn't mean that we're winning the stake. It means that we're making the best decision for our clients and we're making the best decision for our organization. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and I love that. Uh, I love that analogy because it really kind of speaks to exactly um, the impact that that makes. And again, kind of going back to the strategy, I think a lot of people have and, you know, pay little, offer flexibility and do some other things. Um, knowing we're going to go through two or three people before we actually landed on the right one. Uh, you know, I think what sometimes happens in that strategy is they figure, well, this person will produce some business, friends and family, and hopefully we'll get to keep a little bit of that whenever, you know, as they leave. Um, maybe we can ultimately kind of break even on them. But, but what does that do to the organization culture, the agency culture, um, for those that, that do stick around? And certainly what happens whenever that person moves on to another agency and they obviously take all of their friends and family with them, um, then uh, what they ultimately may be bringing in, what they may be writing, what they may be selling is not what you as an agency uh, want in your organization. And I think that that's another key thing that, that agencies have to be thinking about whenever they are growing is who's our clientele? What's our business type? Who do we want to be going after as opposed to we want anybody and everybody? I think that's, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine in the industry is when you, know, you say, well, um, you know, what's your focus? What kind of business? Oh, we want anybody. Anybody's a good client for us. Well, is that really true? Um, 
because if that's the case, to your point, then somebody that's out there selling, they're, they're just throwing mud up against a wall and hoping something sticks instead of really going out with a defined strategy and they can be trained and they can, they can focus in on who they are, what they want to sell and be experts in that category so that no one can outsell them ever whenever they have an opportunity to sit at the table. And I think that's a great strategy that you've created there. Um, the, the other piece to this is, you know, it's one thing to be able to go out and hire them and you get these people and you, and you make sure that they're well-trained and they're professionals, but then the retention of that, um, I'm sure, you know, people that are coming into your agency and that are producing, that are, that are killing it out there in the market, they are probably recruited quite heavily because people see that they're doing well. And so, you know, that's one thing that I've, I've always told producers and salespeople that have come into my business is, um, if you do well, there's going to be a lot of people that want you. And so, that's one thing that we have to try to develop is what do we do to make sure that they want to be with us long-term, that commitment piece. So um, what have you done within the agency to help in that retention, knowing that these people have become such great, um, you know, have become so respected in the market that people are going to be coming after them. What is it that you've developed that keeps them there? Well, that's like, it's kind of like asking like, how do you stay married? Right. Um, uh, since getting married, I have gotten fatter and hairier and less attractive <laughs> and more yeah. of a workaholic. And my wife seems to be getting more beautiful, mm-hmm. um, more gracious and more kind, probably because she has to deal with me. She's close to sainthood at this point. Close. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but so, you know, how do you, how do you stay married? One is that before getting married, you have to date. And I think the biggest mistake that most people looking for employees makes is I believe that that dating process is completely undervalued. Um, and so, for example, I, as, as you've seen, if you've been watching me on social media at all, I'm hiring, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the position I'm hiring for is open in three months. Mm-hmm. I, don't have, I don't have a position open right now. Um, and there are positions that I'm hiring for that are going to be open a year from now. I'm yeah. recruiting for a year from now. I'm I'm actively interviewing people for a year from now. Yeah. Um, and because the reason I and there's one person that we're going to bring on, she hasn't received her offer yet, but she knows she's going to. Mm-hmm. I was working with her for a, she was at a competitor's office. She was actually at a State Farm agency, mm-hmm. and I spent time out of my day coaching her to be a better salesperson in that agency, mm-hmm. because I knew there was going to come a day when if she can receive coaching from me. Mm-hmm. And the training that she's receiving there, I knew that she'd be a good candidate. And yeah. even if she wouldn't be, I knew that I was helping somebody create a better life for themselves. Right. And so there's a there's an investment piece there. But that was our we were dating, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we so then we enter the engagement phase, and the engagement phase is the first ninety days of of, of business. Some mm-hmm. of that's kind of dictated by law. Some of that's dictated by practicality. But inside of those ninety days. Any con- contractual provision doesn't apply if they leave at the 90-day mark. Right. So basically, we have the conversation and we say, um, okay, it's been 90 days. Um, we dated. You've had three months in. How does it feel? Have right. we been keeping our promises to you? Do, is there any, do you have any concerns? Um, here's what we think about you. What do you think about us? And at that point in time, uh, then we get married. Uh, and then so we've, we've spent you know, six months, nine months, a year on our, on our team. And this is going to be our strategy moving forward. And we have to hire four people in the next few months. Then we have to hire six more in the next six months. 
And then as a small, we had to add maybe six to 10 people a year for the next few years based off of our projections. Right. Um, that makes us an incredibly fast growing agency in terms yeah. of the way, the way that Absolutely. normal agencies are growing. Uh, so we have to constantly be keeping our pipeline full and dating. <laughs> We're, we, it, it might turn into speed dating to a certain point, yeah. maybe because of the necessity and because of the amount of people we have and because of my time, we might not be able to, to uh, get to the depths that I want to all the time. And maybe we'll make some mistakes and that's, that's a natural consequence of growing. Um, But I think if we employ this strategy, we'll be able to find the right people. And then to your point, um, I I guess I'm not prepared for, I'm not prepared if, if we don't have great retention because I don't understand how this recipe would have anything other than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's naive. Um, and, but if it does, then the way that we make decisions, we'll just kind of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, hey, were we hiring to culture or were we hiring because of necessity of, yeah. you know, quote unquote necessity? Um, and I think that every failure that we would have would just be a learning opportunity to make sure that culture is first. Yeah. And if we hired a culture, our why is such a strong why. Um, real, the name of my agency is real insurance agency. The L stands for life changing generosity. So we take a portion of that and we give it, we give it back to the community where we operate locally. Mm-hmm. So the first step into the door of my agency, the first step to see if we're going to date beyond the first, if we're going to have a second date mm-hmm. uh, is, can you get excited about what that L stands for? Mm-hmm. And can you, can you take a hold of it? And can you dream with me just a little bit to realize how important that L is? Yeah. Uh, and if yeah. you can grab a hold of that, then you're coming to work and you are doing something much greater than, than just making a paycheck or right. helping people save money. You're actually helping potential clients become partners. And mm-hmm. as partners, you're affecting change in a community and it has nothing to do with insurance. Right. It's just because right. of insurance, we could do that. So we get to retain. And I think any business can, can make those types of decisions. But I think a lot of it has to do with goodwill and charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being a charitable organization yeah. uh, and not and not doing it in a sleazy way like hey we're your neighbor and we and we give locally and we're going to make sure and do lots of commercials about it so that right. you know that we give so that you'll do business with us even though we spend a billion dollars in advertising why do your rates go up and maybe I'm talking about state farm right now um <laughs> but we're not going to do that right. so um so anyway so that's going to be um, that's going to be how we make our decisions. That's going to be how our people get to us. And that's going to be why they stay. And it all has to do with that cultural foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I really like that. Um, again, to your point, you know, when you're bringing people in with a focus on the culture, a focus on the why, um, at that point, it becomes difficult for them to leave if they really buy into that. Because if, if they've really bought into this idea of the impact that we are having, um, then any, anyone else that comes to them, it's, you can't make that impact anywhere else. And so it becomes very difficult to leave if they've really bought into what this is and, and the impact that we're having more so than just simply, well, this is the industry that I'm in and this company is going to pay me 15% more to be in the same industry. Right. Um, when, it's, when it's a focus on the impact that I'm having, the way I'm changing lives, the way I'm helping my community, the way that I'm helping my family, um, 
the influence that I'm having in that space, uh, it becomes, it, it makes it that much more challenging to, to, to leave because there becomes an emotional pull to it more so than just simply a financial pull. And, um, and I, I think that that's critical to an organization's success when people really believe in what you're doing and the impact you're having, as opposed to just simply, well, we pay well. And, uh, and so it's hard to leave. And we see that in a lot of companies, uh, you know, professional services and otherwise. We sit in a lot of companies, they pay so well, you can't leave. But then you have a bunch of people that feel stuck, which means they're ineffective and inefficient. That's right. That's right. Um, so, Christian, when you bring people in, what, what just kind of high level, what kind of training do you do for them? Uh, what do you do to invest in them early on to make sure that they are going to be successful? Yeah, so part of my strategy moving forward in order to hit the numbers that we needed to hit um, has been that I don't hire people that require training. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just simply couldn't. Um, okay. I have, I've interviewed some people recently that I would love to hire. And basically what I said was, look, I'll help you get a job somewhere else. You're amazing. And if you don't want to wait for me to be able to train you, then I'll send you somewhere that can and you'll have a great career and a great life. Um, and so so for me in, in particular, I, I one of the things that we did, we, we had somebody that needed more training than I was willing to give and I wasn't going to hire her. Um, and she basically came back and she said, I'll go commission only. My husband makes a decent income and I'm willing to invest in this if you're willing to believe in me. And she was a perfect cultural fit. Hmm. And so it was, the, it, was, it was an early opportunity to um, apply my cultural belief mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. see if I, I could actually put my money where my mouth was. Yeah. Um, and, and so we did actually hire her. And I basically, I put her through a program with one of our carriers called Paysetter Program. It's a year-long coaching program with one of our, uh, with, with state auto insurance, mm-hmm. probably the best in the country. Um, and I basically said, as long as they don't kick you out, I'll keep you. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and that allowed me to work at, a, at the capacity I needed to work at and give her the co- coaching and training that she needed yeah. without being, a, you know, a drain on the agency in terms sure. of time. Yeah. Uh, she ended yeah. up being the, the best that they've ever had uh, in that program. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and as a result, looked great on our agency. And, and yeah. she really is like the heart of our agency. So it was a perfect hire. Yeah. Um, Moving forward, you know, the, you know, what I always tell people is, is that you know, if we were going to hire somebody from outside the industry, we will pay for their training. We will pay them while they're being trained. Yeah. We will invest in it. We will spend money to get them leads. We will spend money to make sure that they, um, uh, that they are in the right spheres of influence. We will put them in a place to succeed. Yeah. Um, we will not hire somebody and say, okay, go figure it out. Or here's some good strategies. Go figure it out. Or, right. Um, we will walk beside them to the point of success. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're, it's not just a monetary investment, right? It's a time investment, mm-hmm. uh, which is why we haven't been able to hire people without uh, industry knowledge to this point because we don't have time. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that, uh, you know, the goal is to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now we just simply don't. And it would be an unfair uh, cultural experience to them to bring them into a, to a culture where we're all moving at the fastest speeds in the industry. Yeah. And then by the way, figure out insurance. Got to get it figured <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, well, good Christian. Thank you so much. This is great information. I love, um, I love what you've done in, in, 
taking the time to intentionally create a culture. Uh, and then even more importantly than that, stick to that over time, because sometimes that's a whole lot harder than just creating it and writing it down, but actually uh, sticking to that and creating a model around that that has been sustainable uh, to this point and has a future looking forward. So um, thank you for what you're doing there and the model that you've created and the impact that that's had. Uh, Tell us, before we get out of here, tell us how can we learn more about um, your agency, learn more about you and some of the things that you're doing out there? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, under Christian Moore. Uh, if you want to check out our agency, you can go to getrealky.com, getrealky.com. We're the Ramsey site and ask for an insurance quote. There's a, about a 70% chance that my ugly mug will just pop up on your computer screen and you'll be routed to my agency as it is. Um, so any one of those ways is, is a really good way to, to take a look. And if anyone has questions or is inspired or uh, wants to just argue about anything we've said, all of that sounds fun. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn and I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. All right. Thanks so much, Christian. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time and, and sharing with our audience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It sounds like the audio muted just a little bit as Christian was uh, closing out and kind of sharing some ways to get a hold of him. But he had mentioned that he also is an endorsed local provider from Dave Ramsey. Uh, so if you're looking for an insurance quote through the Dave Ramsey program, that's another way that you may be able to get some more information about Christian and what he's doing out there in the market. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit KyleGorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Yeah.